Hey listeners, welcome back to Topics with Tim. Thank you for joining me. It is Friday, which means we are talking some sports. Love me some sports, NBA, NFL, and actually some soccer. Because I don't know if you guys have heard, but there's been some major, major news in the soccer world where some clubs are trying to build a super league. And there has been so much backlash to this that it's basically not going to happen at this point. And this is wild. I'm not someone who follows soccer a ton. I usually tune in for Champions League when it gets kind of to the round of 16 or later. And I'll kind of watch it through to the end. Because I still like soccer. I grew up playing soccer. been playing since I was six years old. I still play today, although I haven't played in the last year or so due to the pandemic and that shutting them shutting different soccer, you know, stuff down that I that I usually played in outdoor. But wow, it was it was kind of crazy to hear about this whole Super League thing and all the backlash, and we'll get into that. But let's start out first by talking some NBA. Specifically, I wanted to talk about a certain player that I was watching over the last couple days, and it hit me that this player was the most important asset that was traded during the NBA trade deadline. For those of you that know, the NBA trade deadline is pretty much the most active trade deadline in all of sports. There's a lot of movement because with basketball players, you know, it's not a it's not football where you need your players to all know the playbook super well because it's 12 guys all working in unison. In the NBA, I mean, you can pretty much new guy can show up on a new team tomorrow and drop 40 points and they could win. And we've seen this all throughout time where you don't you don't need a lot of adjustment to, to play basketball. It's just not the same as far as the reliance on the team and the strategy and the plays, whereas football is utterly reliant on teamwork, offensive and defensive lines, communicating, knowing plays. So it's just a whole different ball game. And that's why you see the NBA trade deadline being so active, because again, you just you can throw a guy in a new situation and you know, it's no big deal. They'll they'll perform as usual. So there was a good amount of trades that went down. You know, there were some big ones involving, you know, James Harden, of course, being traded to the Nets. You know, we had uh, Nikola Vucevic, who is a really good center for the Magic, who you may not have heard of because he, well, plays for the Magic. He gets traded to the Bulls. You know, there's some other, you know, big trades here and there. Evan Fournier going to the Boston, right? Maybe nothing too crazy for the the casual fan. For the intense fan like me, you know, I know, you know, some of these guys are pretty big guys in my mind. But one trade that went through that I think was the single best trade in the NBA trade deadline was the Los Angeles Clippers trading for Rajon Rondo. Yes, Rajon Rondo. Rajon Rondo has won two titles. He won with the Lakers last year, and he won previously with the Celtics. He is pretty well known for being basically a basketball genius, just a guy who knows his X's and O's just to the T, just incredibly the way he breaks down film. And I hope he gets into coaching in the future. I don't know if I see him as a head coach. I don't know if he has the right temperament, the right mentality to really be able to lead on that level, but I think at, at worst, he would make an excellent assistant, someone who can break down film, someone who can create the game plans for for the players going into each game. He definitely ha- will have a role in the NBA if, if he chooses 
chooses to do so because he's just a savant of the game. He, there's many stories you hear of players, him talking, hey, let me take you aside, and he breaks down film with you, shows you your flaws in your game, shows you how to beat teams. And again, that's why the guy's been so successful, even though he's kind of on the shorter side, kind of a smaller guy. And he's two titles, and we all know you know, when playoff primetime Rondo comes out, it's it's a pretty amazing thing to see. So the Clippers, a team that kind of petered out last year in the playoffs, uh, they were a team that was thought to be you know contenders, and but they, they petered out. And so they made this trade for Rajon Rondo. Since the trade, they are 9-1. and one. They might even actually have a better record than that since Rondo. Because I think Rondo took some time for him to get healthy. So I think since he's been healthy and playing for them, they're nine and one. So they've been absolutely killing it. Points per game going up, defense going up. So you know he's making such a huge impact for the Clippers because they really needed, they didn't really need another score, right? You've already got Paul George, you've already got Kawhi Leonard, you've already got two guys who are score first players, and so you needed a player who was more of a complementary player, someone who was unselfish, who would pass the ball, someone who would play defense someone who would lead the team in other ways and would find spots to get guys like Kawhi and Paul George in better spots to score, and that is Rajon Rondo. And again, they're absolutely killing it with him. I personally think that trade could be the difference. I think the Clippers are again a contender this year. I think that there's a good chance they make the finals this year, especially with the Lakers having so many injury issues with LeBron and Davis and having just not a lot of time to play together. Uh, the Clippers have had another year to mesh, They've upgraded at certain positions. Marcus Morris was a great pickup for them. They have a decent bench with Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard. So they have pieces. I think, you know, once Patrick Beverly gets healthy, they have Reggie Jackson, who honestly has started for many years in the NBA. So a very deep team, very solid team. And I think this addition of Rajon Rondo puts them over the top to where I absolutely 100% think they're a contender. I think they have a good chance of beating a team like the Jazz or the Suns, who currently sit above them for now. But I think they could they could beat one, if not both of those teams. I don't see that being a huge issue for them. So the winner of the trade deadline is the Los Angeles Clippers for getting Rajon Rondo. Hands down. Hands down. Nice job, Rajon. Now, I've never been a huge Rajon fan because he tends to rub people the wrong way. He's a bit, bit on the arrogant side, which maybe rightfully so because he's just such a savant genius of the game probably gets in your head when you think, man, I'm just so much smarter than everybody else because I know the game so well. And so he's obviously clashed with coaches and players and hasn't always been the easiest guy to get along with in the past. But obviously he knows the game. He, he's, a, he's an unselfish player on the court. You know, he's not a guy who gets into a lot of trouble off the court either. You're not dealing with any of those issues. He's, you know, got some on-court temper and different issues, but, you know, he's a competitive guy. I think he's toned it down, especially the last few years. I haven't seen quite as many of the outbursts and of the issues with teammates as he's had in the past. So I think, you know, we're all, as human beings, we're growing every day. We're all changing. So I never like to say a player's, oh, they're just this way, and they're just always going to be this way. No, players can change. Players can grow. Players can get humbled. You know, I think one player that comes to mind is Carmelo Anthony, who's a player I've not liked for a very, very long time, who I thought was a very selfish player, a player who, you know, didn't listen to coaching, uh, didn't really get teammates involved, wasn't concerned about playing defense, was was more about his stats than about the team. I always said that I don't think Carmelo will ever win a title. You know, he barely even made the playoffs many for many years in New York. But he is, you know, he is a person who has, I believe, changed. 
He is he's been humbled by his year off from the NBA where no one really wanted him. He's had to come back. He comes off the bench now, which before he was completely unwilling to do that. He thought that was beneath him. And now he's coming off the bench consistently for the Blazers, playing really well, uh, being a great secondary scorer, you know, 12 to 15 points a game, that type of deal. So, I, you know, I think players, again, we're like all human beings. We're all changing. We're all growing. And so, you know, although these guys have had issues in the past, you know, I think that they're they've grown and they're they're different players, different people now. So, yeah, I think uh, the Clippers. I would not. I honestly would probably pick them to go to the finals at this point. I think I would have picked the Nuggets before, but that Jamal Jamal Murray injury that basically knocks them out. I think realistically, you know, they needed Jamal Murray to be there. I think to if if Jamal Murray's there, I'm, I definitely pick them to go to the finals easily. Just with how deep they are, their trade for Aaron Gordon was a great trade. Michael Porter Jr. is finally coming into fruition. But with that loss of Jamal Murray, that's that's huge. Again, you have the Jazz and the Suns above them, but I don't, you know, they're really good teams. You know, I watch the Jazz play a lot, and their ball movement is pretty incredible. Their teamwork is incredible. Their team defense is incredible. Uh, Donovan Mitchell has made some massive, massive strides in his game. You know, just being a scorer, a distributor. A guy who stays healthy, although he did just get hurt a little bit recently. So I've seen him, you know, take his game to the next level. So they're not—they're going to be a tough out, especially because their their type of style of play translates to the playoffs because they, you know, they play defense first basketball and they move the ball and they have a superstar. So that works in the playoffs. The Suns again don't have a ton of playoff experience, which is why I don't see them as a real true contender. You know, I know Chris Paul has done amazing things there, has turned that team around. From a team that you know was a bottom feeder for many years, even with Booker, even with DeAndre Ayton, now sits second in the Western Conference standings, and that's in large part due to Chris Paul and just his leadership. So I'm rooting for Chris Paul, and I want him to win, but I, I just don't think the the team itself has enough playoff experience. If they're a good enough defensive team to really challenge, so I think if anything, the Jazz and the Clippers are are probably my top two teams that I think you know will make it to the finals. I I I don't think the Lakers will just because they're going to get thrown together here at the end, LeBron and AD after not having played, you know, for the last two months. And I think that's just going to be too much to overcome, you know, that lack of playing time together, the, you know, possible re-injury. I mean, Anthony Davis is by no means a guy who stays healthy. This is LeBron's first kind of big injury as well. So, I mean, for for all we know, they get hurt again. I think there's no reason to think that might not happen. I think it's very reasonable. So even though they won it last year, I think they kind of lucked out being in the bubble. I think that helped them a lot, especially LeBron being an older guy, having some older guys on their team, you know, having to not travel constantly, I think was a huge benefit to them that they took advantage of to win the, the finals. But they won't have the same advantage this year. That's why I don't consider them real contenders. Like I said, I think the Jazz and the Clippers are my two teams I would pick to go to the Western Conference Finals with the Clippers overcoming the Jazz due to their star power to you know, be in the finals against whoever is on the east side, which I'd have to think more about that one first before I, I make my east side prediction. I don't think it's going to be the Nets just because the, their, their style of play will not translate to the playoffs when they stop getting the whistle, when defense becomes a bigger part of the equation, more half-court game. Again, James Harden, they, you know, the three of the stars have barely played together at all. I think they played maybe six games together total. One of them has always been hurt. James Harden's out indefinitely right now with a hamstring injury. 
Kevin Durant has come back, but is still struggling with his injury. So not nearly enough time playing together, not enough of a, of a commitment to defense, and a style of play that doesn't work in the playoffs. So I don't see them as a true contender in the East, although they sit very high. But I'll go into my East prediction another time. I won't. I won't. I don't think I'm prepared for that at this moment. Let's hop on to some football. We had Alex Smith retiring from the NFL after 16 years, seven of those with the 49ers, five with the Chiefs, and three with the Redskins. So good for him. He had a great career. Really a guy who, you know, didn't have the physical traits that you want in a quarterback, right? A little bit of a shorter guy. Not a great arm, not incredibly athletic. Although he does have, he did have a little bit of athleticism. He was known to be a, a fairly athletic guy. I shouldn't, I shouldn't totally devalue his athleticism. He was, he's, he's slightly athletic guy, not a great arm. So you know, he didn't come in, you know, being a touted. Well, actually, no, he did come in being a touted guy. Never mind, he was a top pick. I lied. He did come in being very touted. In fact, he got drafted over Aaron Rodgers, which Aaron Rodgers probably never forgets. But honestly, he had a great career. He really focused on accuracy was his main thing, even though he didn't have the, the crazy good arm. He used the athleticism he had to to make plays. He was very extremely accurate. He's a very thoughtful guy. He was known to be sort of someone who, you know, I can totally relate with this, just being a sort of paralysis by analysis was kind of his biggest problem, I'd say, where he, you know, he was very smart and was very uh, good at delivering the football, but sometimes he would be paralyzed by his own indecision by his own, you know, overwhelming the amount of different options there are to go to. That's something that I struggle with being someone who's very analytical, someone who thinks a lot very deeply about a lot of things and sees a lot of different trajectories. You know, I struggle too with just being paralyzed by too many choices and being paralyzed just by so much analysis that I'm paralyzed to make choices. And that's so I can relate with Alex Smith in that way. I think we both struggle in that regard. Because we just like to analyze things. We just love information and to have a lot of things uh, to figure out. But he honestly overcame that, had a great career. Obviously, we saw him have that sort of devastating knee injury a couple years ago. And the fact that he even made it back from that at all is pretty incredible because that was a pretty nasty, nasty injury, especially at his age. You'd think he would not come back. Although he did come back, he didn't look that, – that leg definitely looked not the stablest. So it's probably a good thing he's retiring. I don't know if that leg would have held up. Although I know Urban Meyer was trying to recruit him to the Jaguars, which I thought, you know, if I'm him, yeah, go to the Jaguars, dude. Go hang out, make some money, be a backup to Trevor Lawrence, who, I mean, they're going to start Trevor Lawrence all year long. So you would never have to play. You could chill, make some money, hang out with Urban, help mentor Trevor Lawrence. I personally think he should have done that. That's what I would have done. So I'm not sure why he chose to retire instead, but. I think he missed out on a cool opportunity to to mentor Trevor and but maybe he's that much of a competitor. If, if he can't start, then he doesn't want to want to be there. So I, I can understand that perspective as well. If you're used to starting in the league for 16 years and then all of a sudden you're a backup, it's just hard to take for some guys. But you never know. Maybe he'll you know pull a Carmelo Anthony and come back and you know accept a, a backup role. But anyway, congrats to him. Great career. You know, obviously he had some great years with the Niners before Colin, Colin Kaepernick took his job. He had some awesome years with the Chiefs, with Andy Reid, made the playoffs, made some runs before they got Patrick Mahomes. He was always that guy that was there 
and then they sort of found someone better and they're like, yeah, Alex, we love you, man. You're, you're a solid quarterback, but like we found this other guy. We really like him. So like, bye. <laughs> always the overlooked, always the, uh, <laughs> the guy who was that steady person, but would, you know, get upended for the flashy new toy. <laughs> Sorry, Alex, man. Sorry, I had to bring that up for you. Speaking of Trevor Lawrence, let's hop right into that. There's some reports came out recently that he is maybe not as dedicated to football as we might think. You know, there are a lot of guys coming to the NFL nowadays who, you know, understand that there's a life beyond football, that football, football careers are very short. They carry a lot of risk with the amount of head injuries that can happen, concussions, also the amount of just physical injuries and the physical toll your body can take. So there's been a lot of guys recently who've retired early, you know, because they can, because they've saved their money wisely. They have other pursuits beyond football. And so they'll they'll retire early. There's there's been a number of guys, smart guys, Andrew Luck being one who retired early. Patrick Willis from the Niners retired early. This is not an uncommon thing anymore for guys, you know, to retire early. Calvin Johnson retired early, honestly. He could have played a number of more years. Because obviously you have to weigh the risks with the reward, and if you've already saved a lot of money and you're already that rich, then you know maybe why why continue to put your body on the line? But some reports have come out that Trevor might be along those same lines, where he's not, you know, he knows that there's other things he could do beyond football. Maybe he isn't as, you know, dedicated to football as others. You know, there's other there are Plan Bs for him, where some players football is it for them. They don't really have a Plan B. And I don't think this will change where he, he's going to get drafted number one. And I still think he'll be a, a worthy of a number one pick. I wouldn't really bat my eye. It does make you wonder, though, because you do want a player that you know is going to be around a long time. And you do want a player that you know is you know, a, a football junkie. right? Let's, you know, Tom Brady is a football junkie. The dude, every decision that man makes, and I've read his, I've read his books. I've listened to a lot of uh, pods with him seen his his documentary series. This is a man who is so dedicated to his craft of football. Every decision he makes during the day has something to do with football. What he eats, what time he goes to sleep, what pajamas he wears, you know, what, you know, the time he gives his kids, his wife, it's all comes down to what will make me a better football player. That's the type of dedication that you're looking for if you're a general manager. You want a guy who just lives and breathes football. Because you know they're going to put in the work. They're going to put in the extra hours after practice. They're going to be willing uh, to drive far. I think I say that because I guess I heard Zach Wilson, who is probably going to be the number second pick to the Jets, apparently would drive like eight hours a day or or eight hours a week or, or something to get to a, a throwing coach for football. Like he, That's that's the type of player you want. You want a dude who's so dedicated. Dude, that, that guy's willing to spend eight hour an eight-hour car ride just to get to a coach that he knows can help take his game to the next level. I mean, holy moly, right? That's that's the type of you know football junkie that you want. Turns out Trevor Lawrence might not be that much of a football junkie. He might be more of the Andrew Luck. And I, again, these guys that I mentioned who retired early were very very successful in their time in the league and played you know a decent amount of years. So again, I I don't think even though. This is maybe where he's at. I still, he's still going to be a first-round pick. He'll still play for a while. But there is that risk now that, hey, if he's not into football as much as a Tom Brady or other people who are more dedicated, then you know he might not play 10 years. He might leave early because he can. 
And if you're not on it as an organization, putting him in big games, if you're not putting talent around him, you know, like a, a Calvin Johnson who basically quit early because he just got tired of losing on the Lions. It just wasn't worth it anymore for him. Kind of killed his, you know, Barry Sanders, same thing. Sort of killed their drives for the game. So it's just something to, to think about, you know, who really is putting in the extra time, who really wants it. And then, of course, you have the, the talent, too. Because there are guys who really want it, but they're just not talented enough. So, like I said, he'll still get drafted one, but it's just, just food for thought on his future, you know, how long he'll end up playing. Move on to another story I thought was hysterical. The Eagles. Ugh, gotta love the Eagles. Haven't drafted a Pro Bowler in years. Team that's, you know, ever since they won the Super Bowl, has basically been terrible. Fired their Super Bowl winning head coach. So they have this quarterback, Jalen Hurts, right? Who, you know, did decently well last year. Nothing nothing super spectacular, but showed, hey, he's a dual threat guy. You know, he definitely lit a fire under that offense for the last few games of the year. So you think, hey, you know what, you'd... you'd I mean, at this point, you don't have anything better. You signed Joe Flacco as a backup, right? So you're gonna you're gonna throw Jalen Hurts out this this year and and hope for the best. That's obvious. And a report came out that they're you know not gonna say that Jalen Hurts is the starter yet. <laughs> they're still gonna let it. They're gonna let the quarterbacks compete in camp. Oh yeah, because because Joe Flacco is gonna beat out Jalen Hurts for the starting quarterback gig. Give me a break. Come on. I you know, I get the mentality of, hey, everything's an open competition. Everyone gets treated the same. Play good, you get the spot. But let's just have some, I don't know, attachment to reality here. Joe Flacco is is terrible. He's an awful quarterback at the stage of his career. He's a game managing mentor quarterback who has been bad for years. Do I even have to go into this? Of course Jalen Hurts is your starting quarterback next year. I mean, unless they think they're going to draft a quarterback, I mean, which I guess they could do. And in that case, maybe that makes sense why he said that. But if, if, if they don't draft a quarterback, they just continue to look more and more stupid. <laughs> because, okay, like, just, just, I, just, Tell it like it is, okay? Jalen Hurts is your best quarterback. You're gonna play him. You invested a lot in him. There's no com- there's no competition here. Ugh, hate when hate when GMs and coaches try to create this competition narrative. It's like, dude, there's no competition narrative there, dude. Joe Flacco's not beating out Jalen Hurts, man. Just give Jalen Hurts some confidence by just saying, "Hey, man, you're our guy." You know, you might as well, right? Might as well give the dude some assurance that you believe in him. But no, you're going to say, oh, Joe Flacco might beat him out. Because that, that's going to do wonders for Jalen Hurts' confidence. <laughs> you might lose your job. We're not we're concerned you might lose your job to Joe Flacco. I mean, I would be insulted. I'd be like, yo, trade me then. Like, I'm absolutely insulted by that. I'm, you think I'm going to lose my job to Joe Flacco? Lord. <sighs> Moving on to Mike Tomlin. The Pittsburgh Steelers head coach signed a three-year extension. Now, that means man honestly if there's any place you want to become a head coach it's the Pittsburgh Steelers they've had three coaches in 55 years 55 years three head coaches if you if you want job security the Pittsburgh Steelers and you know I really love that they do that I think one of the pitfalls 
of football today are these organizations who are run by very, very impatient people, impatient owners, impatient GMs, who if their league, you know, if they have two years where they don't make the playoffs, you know, they got to fire everybody and start over. And, you know, there is something to be said about having just longevity and consistency. And the Steelers have managed to win six Super Bowls during this time of longevity and consistency. So there's something to be said about just, hey, you know what? Maybe Mike Tomlin isn't the most amazing coach in the world. But maybe there's something to be said about stability. Maybe that matters more than just the hot new coach. Maybe players that play for the Steelers know, okay, we can't just get the coach fired or we can't just complain about the coach because they're going to get rid of me before they get rid of Mike Tomlin. So I better just get in line and listen to him because he's the coach. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely a juxtaposition of what's going on in the NBA where it's so player dominated and controlled that basically if you're a star player, you just say, Hey, I want this coach fired. And the, they, they fire the coach because they're so they're more concerned with keeping you and your brand and your star power because stars are so valuable that they'll just ditch the coach for you. That's happened all the time. Or they'll, you know, ask the star player, okay, what coach do you want? Okay, we'll bring in that coach for you. And so coaching, I mean, I don't know how much respect they're really given. I'm sure some coaches get more respect than others. But for the most part, if you're a star player and you don't like your coach, well, you can just get rid of them. It's really not like most organizations are not going to back the coach over a star player. It's just not going to happen, which is kind of sad because, again, you know, it's he's the head coach. He, he should be valued that high. There should be respect given from that position. But in, in the NBA, it's the players that are the real coaches. So in the NFL, so like I said, I think, and I think that's one of the reasons why these two have had so much success is, again, if you're a player coming there, you know you can't just complain about the coach and get, get him fired, right? Even if you're a star dude, they'll get rid of you before they get rid of their coach. So you got to you either fall in line or or get out of town. And so I think there's there's something to be said about that that works. That can work. Absolutely work. Because you need stability. You need and you need accountability. You need, you know, players to know that like I said, they can't just they don't have all the power. They just don't. So I I like that they've done that. I like their approach in that way, just to have that consistency. And they had six Super Bowls, nothing to be nothing to be ashamed about. It's worked out for them pretty pretty solidly. So I might I'm gonna drop in a little bit later, do a little bit a little bit of NBA standings, but I really do want to get into the Super League thing because I found it incredibly fascinating. So basically, what happened was twelve of the biggest clubs in all the world when it comes to soccer and. You know, soccer is the biggest sport in the world. It's bigger than football. It's bigger than the Olympics. It's bigger than it's bigger than any sport anywhere. Soccer is the number one sport in all the world. So we have 12 of the top clubs in all the world from three different leagues who wanted to band together to create a super league. Now, for those of you that follow soccer, you know that they already have Champions League, which is basically the same thing. But the major difference between the Super League proposal and Champions League has a very foundational principle that I completely agree with. Because when I first heard 
about the Super League, I was thinking, hey, that's kind of cool. I would love to see all the the best clubs play each other. That sounds sweet. I'm, I'm down for that. So I didn't understand the backlash. I didn't understand why people, I mean, people were literally protesting in the streets. One one guy who I think was a, the son of a famous Liverpool coach or something, you know, wanted his the statue taken down from outside Liverpool Stadium. I mean, this people are pretty nutty about soccer in the world. Like I think to an unhealthy level, to where they will. Uh, players have been killed in the past for missing kicks or missing key games. People have you know, literally wanted to kill them. I think some have been killed and some have maybe even committed suicide because the the backlash they got was so intense. So that's that's obviously an unhealthy level of fandom. And I even heard the stat, again, I don't know if this is true or not. It's just something I heard. But I heard that when, I think it's, was it Brazil? When Brazil doesn't make the World Cup or loses in the World Cup, their suicide rate like goes up, which is bonkers to me. That's absolutely bonkers that people are so infatuated with their soccer team that they might potentially be willing to kill themselves if the soccer team did not win. That is an unhealthy level of being a fan. Being a fan is fun. Being a fan is you know, what makes sports so much fun. Rooting for your team, celebrating their wins, being with them in the losses, the loyalty, all that stuff. But my God, if you're willing to kill yourself over your dang sports team, you have some issues. I would seek counseling, seek help, because that's that's just that's absolutely ridiculous. But it exists in the world, and I think I remember having a conversation. I think when I was in Columbia with my brother, we were, we were talking about this because we were, you know, why are certain people in certain countries so attached to their soccer teams to the point where you know they might be willing to kill themselves or kill the players if there's not success? And I was even reading an article as I was doing some research on the Super League thing that I think there was a team that got relegated. Because uh, the way that it works in the in soccer, especially in England and stuff, is they have a relegation where if you you know do poorly, you get sort of removed from the main league. Someone else comes up, and there was I think one team that got relegated, and then their fans, their own fans, egged them and tried to barricade their bus. <laughs> I'm just thinking, my God, your own fans. <laughs> <laughs> are blocking you from leaving, egging you. I'm sure saying all sorts of awful, awful things about you. You know, again, that's an unhealthy level of being a fan. That's pure insanity. But one of the reasons that we we talked about, one of the reasons we think that people are so attached to their soccer teams is in a lot of third world countries especially, this isn't always necessarily what's true in more modern, you know, maybe European countries, things like that, but things aren't consistent. And my brother told me this firsthand as, as he has been a world traveler, he's traveled to probably 40 to 50 different countries. He's traveled a lot through Latin America, especially because he, he's a Spanish speaker. And he said that, you know, there's not a lot of consistency in a lot of, especially Latin America or other, you know, poor third world country type of uh, places, you just can't always count on things. You can't always count on the bus to be on time. You can't always count on, you know, food, or you can't always count on, you know, people and 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 things to work smoothly. But the one thing you can count on in all those places is your soccer team will be playing 
this night and that night, every week. There, there's no if there's one thing that a lot of these uh, like more third world countries or Latin countries or wherever, if there's one thing that they will be focused on making sure always stays consistent, it's their soccer teams. That always remains the same. And so there's uh, so my brother speculated that be, that because of that consistency, because that's the one thing people can count on. They can't always count on the government. They can't always count on things to, to really happen. But what they can't always count on is their soccer team playing every week without any sort of delay, any sort of issues. And so maybe you get sort of attached to that sort of consistency, and then it becomes a big deal. That too. That's just our speculation on it. Whereas, you know, in America, we're not as big, I think, on that. And I think one of the reasons we're not, if my and my brother's speculation is true, is because we do, you know, tend to have things in America that do run very smoothly. You you can count on a lot of things to happen as they're supposed to happen in America. We have a lot of very fine-tuned, efficient ways of of doing things. And so you can count on the bus to be on time. The bus is almost always on time. There's a, you know this bus is gonna be there, you know. The train is going to be there. You know the food is going to be there. You know this government policy. You know that if you buy something off Amazon and you don't like it, you know that you can return it and you're going to get your money back. There's a lot of things that we can count on to happen. And so maybe we're not as attached to our sports teams because they're consistent, but we have all these other things that are consistent too. So I always thought that was an interesting thing that we, we discussed about you know why certain countries are so you know will commit violence in the name of their their soccer teams it becomes almost like a gang essentially so the super league right so we've got 12 teams we had barcelona real madrid atletico madrid we had manchester united manchester city liverpool arsenal tottenham and chelsea and then we had juventus ac milan inter milan so these are the 12 teams I think they were trying to get 15 to be the founding teams. And so initially when I heard this, of course, I wasn't, I was like, sweet. I want to see the best soccer soccer teams play. I'm all for it. And I didn't understand the level of backlash. And as I researched it more and more, I did start to understand. And I did come to the conclusion that I personally would not support it. The main reason being, and the main reason I'm seeing that people are not, because I don't, I don't like, again, I'm more of a, entrepreneurial person who believes like, Hey, if you, you know, if you see an opportunity to go make money, you know, go do it. Obviously, you know, hopefully you're somewhat of a moral person. So you're not going to just, yeah, I could totally exploit these people for money. You know, hopefully you have some morality to go, okay, you know, that's not, I could do that, but that's not, that's not okay. That's not, that's wrong. I'm going to, you know, see an opportunity to make money, but hopefully it's something where it benefits people in some way or provides a service or something where it's not just exploiting people. You're not creating a pyramid scheme or something. So hopefully, you know, you have a moral backing and then you see an opportunity to make money. You know, I'm not, I'm not the type of person that's going to ever say, no, I can't do that or try to stop you from doing that. Kind of more of an anti-regulation kind of guy. So when I heard this, I'm like, sweet, they're just trying to, these clubs, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty rich, but they're trying to make more money. They see an opportunity to play against each other and make more money. And I, I'm, yeah, maybe it hurts some of the smaller teams who can't make as much money, but shoot, like, who am I to stop you from, you know, being sort of a capitalistic person who's, hey, I see an opportunity to make money, I'm going to go do it, you know, and I don't necessarily think there's a ton of moral 
qualms to that that I would be too concerned about. But the thing I was concerned about, other than the money, so the money I wasn't really, I was like, whatever, they want to make more money, that's fine. And if people will watch, I mean, people obviously have the choice to not watch, right? If you don't agree with what they're doing, if you don't support it, you just don't watch, right? That's They make their money because you go to games, because you buy jerseys, because you watch the games. So just stop doing that. They'll lose money and be like, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to make money doing this. So it's kind of on you, the fans. You know, if you don't like it, you don't support it. You know, I know a lot of people who don't support the NBA anymore because of some of the ways the NBA has gone. And I totally respect it. I'm like, yeah, I, if I, you know, I am a total NBA junkie, so I can't give it up, unfortunately. But I totally understand why you won't support it. And obviously, they're not going to make money off of you because you're not going to buy stuff. You're not going to go to games, you know, and that hurts them. That hurts their bottom line. So I wasn't concerned about that. But I did, when I heard this, I went, okay, I get it. Yeah, I don't want that to happen either. Because I think one of the biggest problems with American sports right now, especially basketball, is teams are rewarded for sucking. And the rewards are actually quite, quite good. So we see a lot in the NBA that especially this time of year right now, and I'm seeing it, it's, it's so annoying, right? I, I play fantasy basketball, so I'm I'm up to date. I see the box scores every day. I'm setting my lineups every day. And I see this every single year, year after year after year, where this this last third of the year is, is a joke. It's half the teams are trying to lose. They're, they're benching all their best players. All these players are popping up with all these phantom injuries and sitting out games. It becomes this just tankabalooza, if you will. And then the games aren't competitive. There's so many blowouts the last third of the year. You can just see, you know, if you're buying tickets, I mean, you have no idea if, you're, if your favorite guy is going to play that night. Dudes, dudes are sitting out left and right for nothing. Kyrie Irving literally didn't play earlier this year because he didn't want to. He's like, ah, I don't feel like playing. Went home. Missed like a couple weeks. Like, gosh, I wish I <laughs> wish I had enough job security to do that in my job. Like, nah, I'm good, man. I'm just gonna not gonna show up for a couple weeks, but when I come back, you'll 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 play me. Like, my God. <laughs> it's crazy. Absolutely bonkers. And so I've always been super frustrated with the NBA's model because I think you just continuously reward these teams to suck. And I think at the end of the day that hurts your bottom line because you got a lot of non competitive games. You got a lot of fans who are distrustful now because you never know if your players. I mean, if I buy my ticket in advance because I want to see, you know, Jeremy Grant from the Pistons because he's like their best player, I have no idea if he's going to play because the Pistons aren't aren't really close to playoff contention, so they're just benching him basically almost every other night. I have no idea if he's going to play. Why would I buy a ticket? I bet my favorite player I want to see. I'm it's a crapshoot. Whether he's going to play or not. So. I've always hated the model. I don't think teams should be rewarded for sucking. I understand to an extent you don't want the league to become super top-heavy. You don't want you know, all the, the best teams to continue to have access to the best picks. So I get that you can't make a system in which just you know every best team is even more rewarded. But, man, can we tone down the incentives for sucking? You know, and I, The NBA has done a little bit of that where they've reduced the odds – so if you're the worst team in the NBA, you don't actually always get the first pick. There's sort of a lottery. You might you might drop back. 
Again, this kind of helps a little bit, I guess, but I don't think it really does much because at the end of the day, if you have the worst record, you have the best odds of landing the first pick. And so you're going to do that. You're going to put try to put yourself in the best position to have the best odds to land the top picks. And so I don't see that really altering much because you're still going to try to do the same, put yourself in position to do the same thing, finish last. And so we have a bunch of, we have some teams right now tanking. Now they've tried to do this play-in system to, I think, I think one of the reasons they implemented this play-in system was to try to stop some tanking, was to try to give a couple of those teams kind of on the border sort of, hey, we're going to give you a little incentive to keep playing because maybe you play into this play-in spot and then maybe you play in this playing game and then maybe you make it into the playoffs. And yeah, you're probably going to lose in the first round because the NBA doesn't really have upsets, but you know, being in the playoffs is important. There's money to be had there. There's experience to be had. There's, you know, notoriety to be had for your players. They get to be seen by a larger audience. So there, there's enough benefits to being in the playoffs that, you know, it could incentivize some of these teams who are 9, 10 to uh, maybe even 11, 12 to continue trying. So I appreciate the effort being made by the NBA to to try to create a more competitive atmosphere towards the end of the year, but I still think the incentives are far too high for last place. Why would you why do you reward incompetence? Why do you reward, you know, bad management, bad scouting, bad coaching, bad playing? Why do you reward that? I just don't understand it. So one of the beauties, and I know you're wondering like, well, how does this relate to soccer Tim? You just talked to NBA for a while. Well one of the beautiful things about soccer is relegation. So if you're a soccer team and you finish last, you get removed from the league. You drop down into, I think, a lesser league or, or something. So you lose out on a lot of money. You lose out on a lot of sponsorships. You lose out on a lot of opportunities to get play. It, it sucks. It really does. But it's perfect for the game because nobody wants to – if I'm a soccer club – I don't want to have, you know, the the disincentives to get so far down to be relegated are, you know, far outweigh any, you know, things I get from being that low and maybe have access to to picks. I actually don't know how it, how it works as far as how they. I don't think they even have necessarily. They don't have a draft. There's no. I don't think there's any soccer draft. I think they have their own sort of affiliate clubs where they just you know, sign guys super young and then build them up in their clubs. So I don't even think they even have any incentive to go down for draft picks or whatever, like American sports. But yeah, I mean, I'm going to try to win every single game if I'm in the English Premier League because there's no incentive to lose. I don't want to get anywhere near the relegation. There's no real incentive for me to finish lower. There's only risk and a lot of money to be lost and many things to be lost. So it creates this competitive atmosphere in which no one has incentives to lose. So everything's pretty much always competitive. And I think that's beautiful. I wish that the NBA would adopt a relegation system. I, I've, I've said it for years now. The NBA needs relegation. They need something to go, oh man, like, you know, maybe it'd be, you know, it'd be nice to have access to a good pick, but dude, we don't want to risk being kicked out of the league for a year and all the money we lose, sponsorships, players, notoriety. You know, Maybe we don't can't retain players because of that. That's a big hit. 
shoot, that's not worth it. Let's just play to win. And you have, and then the competition stays all year round. You, you know, incompetence isn't rewarded. We don't, we don't reward teams for having bad general managers, for having bad scouting, for having bad coaching. Right? Those organizations make changes because they're not rewarded for incompetence. What we have in the NBA are teams that are rewarded for incompetence. Hey, you have a you have a crappy GM who has been terrible. We're going to reward you by giving you a top pick. Hey, you have a, a coach that's just a terrible coach. We're going to reward you for having that terrible coach. Hey, man, you have players that just don't care, don't want to be there. Yeah, we're going to reward you for that. We're going to give you a first-round pick, right? There's, And we're rewarding incompetence. We're rewarding people purposely losing. That should not be rewarded. I, I just don't understand that at all. I've never been... I, I, I would completely redo the system. I would have some sort of competition between the teams that don't make the playoffs to get uh, to get those picks or uh, some sort of tournament or something. Or, or it's just something where teams, again, aren't rewarded for... Because I, I think at the end of the day, players are going to play. But the reason why these teams lose a lot is because the coaches and GMs will sit them out. Like, you're not playing tonight. So I think if the players just played... They would just play. They're competitive people. That's that's who they are. They wouldn't have any issue just going hard because people are watching them and they want to get a contract and they gotta play hard. So it's not even necessarily the players' fault. It's it's more in line with the coaches and the GMs and what they're doing to bench guys, to make guys sit out so that they can lose, so that they can get a better pick. So I think you wouldn't have any issues with getting players motivated. Hey, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a tournament. Between all the non-playoff teams, winner gets the first round pick. I think I think all the players would try because again, people are watching them. Probably a lot more viewers than there are now. Because if it was a tournament and not these crappy one-sided games where no star players are playing, people would watch. People would say, Oh dang, dude, there's we should watch this tournament. Because I mean, yeah, there's bad teams, but they're all gonna be going balls hard. Try to get a first-round pick, and you know I've heard arguments that oh the players won't try hard because they don't you know they're they're going to be playing for the chance to get a pick that you know could replace them. And I'm thinking maybe, but they don't know that they don't know how far they're going to get. They don't know if they're going to get a first-round pick. They don't know who their team's going to draft. There's so much unknown there. They're players who are competitors who are in meaningful games who are now being seen by a large audience on television, being seen by other GMs across the league, that is plenty of incentive to compete. Again, it's not the players that are the problem here. It's it's the GMs and the owners and the coaches who are purposely making players sit out to lose games. The players want to play. They would play. Except for maybe, I mean, maybe some of the top elite guys wouldn't if they knew, like, I'm already elite. I already have great branding. I don't need this tournament. They might sit out. I could see that. But for the most part, players are going to play. They're competitive. They want to be seen. They they have their contracts at stake. There are future things at stake for them. Even if they, you know, thought, okay, off oh, we win, we're going to get a first round pick. Maybe I get replaced by the first round pick. I mean, even so, you don't. Again, you don't know who they're going to take. You don't know if you'll even win the tournament to where you'll even have to deal with that you know your team's going to get a pick anyway at some point because you didn't make the playoffs uh, so you don't know exactly where that's going to be 
for all you know, maybe that player joins your team and like now your team goes from being a team that was good to a team that now has a chance to win and contend. You know, there's the flip side to that where you're a player and you're thinking, dude, if we can land this first round pick, like we're already a good team. If we can win this tournament, land this first round pick, we could contend next year. Like maybe there's incentive that way to where players aren't worried about being replaced, but they're actually excited about getting a talent to a team that's already good to where now they can, you know, vault into the contenders and have a chance to play in even more meaningful games, right? So I think the, the it's overblown that players wouldn't play because of, you know, oh, we're going to get replaced by these picks. I think they would love just the just playing in meaningful games, right? That's why players want to get into the playoffs anyway is because it's meaningful games. We all want to be in big games. That's what's fun about sports. The more the drama, the more the intensity, the more what's at stake, the more, you know, memories are made, the more just amazing euphoria you feel when you win in in the most meaningful watched games. And as someone who's played sports all my life, I can back that 100%. So one of the reasons I'm against the Super League is because the Super League, unlike Champions League, would basically those 15 founding members would be guaranteed spots in that league every year, even if they sucked, even if they fell off the map, even if they hired terrible people, their team fell off, they were just trapped, like they, they weren't even deserving of being in that, you know, elite echelon of clubs anymore. You know, they are guaranteed a spot regardless. And again, I don't like that about American sports. I don't like that there is incentive to to lose at times that there is no incentive to compete that there's no consequence for just incompetence and sucking so when i heard that the super league was going to have this guaranteed members i was like i'm out i'm out of the super league like you had me everything you had me on elite clubs playing each other you had me on the money whatever didn't care about that you had me on everything else once you told me that there's no way for teams to be able to, you know, leave the league. I'm out. You, you killed the competition for me. You killed the the every team having a chance for me. Now that's what makes Champions League so great, right? Champions League. There are some teams that finished really well in Premier League this year who are really not well-known teams who actually have a chance now to compete in Champions League to you know win with the best clubs in all the world they earned that right they played well they had you know good gms they had good scouting they had good ownership they made good decisions they put good players on the field they had a good system right they their talent developed they did all the things that you need to do to earn your right to compete for higher and higher prizes but the super league would just take that away it would just be these clubs guaranteed just here we are, you know, and again, I don't like American pro sports for that reason. I don't like that incentive. I, I just don't. You know, it's it's. I find the NFL manages, even though the NFL is similar to where you know, if you're the worst team, you get the first pick. They, for some reason, I don't know if it's just scarcity of games or what it is, but they manage to avoid the tanking thing a good amount. I mean, they're usually the week 17. There is a good amount of tanking, but for the most part. They're able to avoid it. I think more so just with the scarcity of games makes it, you know, games are, are still really important. 
because there's not that many of them. And so you still avoid that. But for basketball, it's bad. For other sports, again, it's, 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 it's bad. There's a lot of tanking. So I was out as soon as I heard that. Like, no way. I cannot support that. Again, I think I, one of the things I respect so much about the England and European soccer leagues is that they've always had this tradition of, you know, tournaments where you have to qualify by doing well in your league to get into them. And so, you know, whatever team you are, you have a chance to earn your spot in Champions League, in the European Cup, in the World Cup, right? You've got to compete. You've got to win qualifying matches to get in. And I think that's how it should be. That's how competition should be. We should not reward incompetence. We should not reward sucking. We should not incentivize losing on purpose. Should always the incentive should always go the other way. Always. So yeah. I as soon as I saw that I was out. And I'm glad that it's looking like it's gonna fall through. Cause again, you know like I said it would have been cool to see all those clubs go up against each other. And I get that, you know, from a rating standpoint, there's a lot, not a lot of people that are going to tune into, you know, West Ham United versus, you know, I don't know. I don't know a lot of soccer teams. AC Milan, right? Whereas if you had, you know, Barcelona and AC Milan, of course, of course, you're going to get more viewers, right? So I get the money standpoint, the viewership standpoint. If you have the big name clubs, more people are going to tune in. I get that. I respect that, you know, that's a thing. But I'm glad that, you know, just because that's true, we're not going to sacrifice the overall integrity of the sport. We're not going to sacrifice the the true fans by just selling out to that. That we're still going to allow, you know, true competition and true integrity in soccer uh, to where you know you have to earn it. And I, again, I respect I respect the heck out of soccer for keeping that tradition and for making sure that this. Super League does not happen. So, no, no, I do not want the Super League. Usually I'm someone who likes to be pretty counter-opinionated. So I kind of wanted to like the Super League just because everyone else was so against it. So I kind of want to like it because I like being the guy who has the the unpopular opinion. I, th- I kind of thrive on it. Funny story, actually. <laughs> I think one of the reasons I love Tom Brady so much was because for so long, people hated him. Hated him. People were like Tom Brady, what a pretty boy, dude. Like he it's a system. He's a system quarterback. It's all Bill Belichick. He doesn't do anything. That's the defense. You know, everyone hated Tom Brady for a long time. Everyone rooted against him. And I loved being the guy who was the the Tom Brady supporter. Because I knew I was in the minority, but I kinda liked it. I loved like, hey, I'm the underdog here. I'm the guy who's seeing the stock that everyone else is crapping all over. But I see the value in it. And now that Tom has become widely accepted as the GOAT, and basically no one has a negative thing to say about him, I'm, I am love Tom, and I'm, but it kind of makes me sad a little bit because I'm no longer the guy with the alternate view. I'm now the guy with the view that everyone else has. Everyone else <laughs> thinks Tom Brady's the GOAT. Everyone else loves Tom Brady and gushes about him. Even the most adamant Tom Brady haters who I've known over the years have changed their tune to where they're like, yep, Brady's the best. He's incredible. Can't believe it. So it's cool. It's cool to be, to, to again, be the guy who had bet on the stock that hits and you're like, knew it, knew it the whole time. 
But then once it does hit and everyone else sees it too, now you're, again, you know, I'm no longer the guy with the outside opinion. I'm the guy with the opinion of the majority. And I, I'm not a, I'm not a conformist. I don't like to conform. I like to be different. I like to have the counter, counter opinion. So I wanted to like Super League just so I could have the counter sort of opinion to everyone else and be the, uh, you know, the other guy, I guess. But I, I can't deny that. I just think it, from a competition standpoint, from someone who dislikes that element of American sports and wishes they would do something about it, I can't get on board with it. You got to earn your right. You got to earn your right to play, and you got to be rewarded by competence and good play and good management and all the stuff that comes along with with running a good sports teams. So, so yeah, I'm happy the sports league is uh, or the Super League is is done. So. That's really all the main sports news I have for you tonight. It is, it is pretty late for me right now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hop off this podcast here. But hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you got some sports knowledge, some sports. You know, again, I love sports so much. So, I've, you know, I and again, I'll eventually branch this off into its own podcast and probably do health podcast three days a week on this one. But for now, I'm gonna keep Fridays my sports day. A little bit of a chance for me to just get some sports opinions off my chest, and you know talk about some of these things that I really am passionate about and enjoy. So I uh, thank you for listening again. I hope you enjoyed this week of content. I had, you know, part three of me and Troy's conversation of gym junkies on Monday. We had, I had Mark come in and we talked about his awesome, uh, new workout program he's on. That was on Wednesday. So make sure to scroll back, check those out. If you haven't already next week, I'll be releasing part two of me and Mark's conversation. We go into a little bit more of the nutrition side of what he's been doing to, to lose weight and stay fit and active and healthy. And we'll talk about some other things as well when it comes to the nutrition. And then I also just did a, a recent podcast with my buddy Alan. Shout out to you, Alan. So that'll be coming up next week, probably on Wednesday. I'll be releasing the first part of our conversation about uh, he just completed an Athlean X program called the Zero Program. So we go into some 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 detail on that and his experiences with that program. So stay tuned. It's got some great content coming up next week. And again, if you want to be on a podcast, either a Gym Junkies podcast or a People Are Interesting podcast, you know, please let me know. I'd love to have you on. I, I've been, I have actually, you know, it's been really cool. I've, I, I started going to a new church recently and I met some new people and a lot of very active people as well. So I'll, I'm hopefully having a lot of guests lined up. I, I feel like I have at least three, four, five guests already in mind for the next upcoming month and a half who I've already talked and said, hey, or would you be interested in doing a podcast? And they're like, yeah, yeah, let me know. So I'm stoked by the amount of people that want to be on the show and by the amount of, of guests I have coming up who I really want to pick their brains and have a lot of awesome things to share. So, And, of course, I'll bring back my mainstay people. You know, we will bring them back on here and there to check in on them, see how they're doing. And, yeah, I'm just super excited for where this podcast is going. And thank you for listening. And I pray that you, you, know, you continue to support it and you know, tell your friends about it if they're interested in becoming healthy and, and just – taking their health to the next level, which is what this podcast is all about. And maybe they like a little sports too. So anyway, guys, thank you. Have a good night and I will see you on the next pod.